Yep. 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 <laughs> I agree. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> My brain's tired. Oh, come on. Wake up. Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Robineau, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. I am Rob Minot, and today I am joined by Ryan Fleury. Well, we're not joined, but we're in the same room. And nobody else. Nope, just the two of us. Because Steve is still out fishing. Supposedly. No, he is. I saw I saw him <laughs> post a picture on Facebook of uh, a fish that he had caught that looked like it was about the size of, like, I don't know. A sardine. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's pretty small. <laughs> so I don't know how much lucky he is having fishing, but he is out there somewhere. Alrighty. Um. Hey. So, how's your week been? Uh, I was busy. You know, I had my mom in from out of town from Friday till yesterday, so right. four days was a write-off. Right. Right. Is it? Was it her first time in BC? No. No, she's been here multiple times, but just hadn't seen her for about a year, so we flew her out. And right. Now, and she's in where? Red Deer. Right. And what'd you guys Alberta. do? Alberta. Uh, she came in Friday around noon. And so what did we do Friday? I think we just kind of vegged out, relaxed. Yep. Saturday, we had a big barbecue with a bunch of our friends. And then mom and Linda and Linda's sister went down to the casino and mom won 900 bucks. Right. And then Sunday, we all went out to the Cloverdale Flea Market. And I bought the vinyl LP of Dark Side of the Moon. Very excited. Really? I didn't have it. I now own it. Yep. And then we took her to the airport on Monday. Nice. So, so that was my like, weekend. That was a full weekend. It was full. Yeah, I don't even remember what I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just various stuff. Yeah. Probably packing. <sighs> no. What did... Uh, no, 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 I'm trying to think of it. What did I do Saturday? Oh, you know what? Forget it. I don't know. <laughs> it's all a blur. I think I work. I, I've been creating those. I've been revamping the website, so I've been working Excellent. a lot on that. Good job. So thank you. Thank you. I someone, appreciate it. Someone appreciates it. I'll throw you a bone. Thanks. <laughs> uh, com. <laughs> Check it out. That's right. Uh, yeah, I did notice this in the news today, though. Did you hear this, that uh, James Tay... The co-lead developer at NVDA has left NVDA. I didn't hear that until you sent it to me this morning. I know. And I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, seeing as we had Quentin Christensen from NVDA on a few months back. Yep. Um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see who steps up in his place. You know, the nice thing with NVDA is it's a community-supported screen reader, so anybody can contribute code to it. And it's free, we should add. And For anybody who free. doesn't know what we're talking about, NVDA is a open source uh, screen reader for the blind uh, that is absolutely 100% free. Yep. And getting better every time they come out with a new release. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because it says here that he's going to work for Mozilla. Which, again, is all open source as well, a lot of their stuff. Uh, and it sounds like he's still going to be serving on the board of directors and he's going to still help steer the project. So he, it's not like he's completely walking away from it because he's one of the founders, correct? Yes, I believe it was him and uh, Mick. I forget Mick's last name. Uh, but they were the first two, I guess, who co-founded or founded NVDA or NV Access. Right. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with, you know, Mozilla products, you know, Thunderbird was an email client I used for a long time, and a lot of people have been switching away from that. Firefox, you know, was kind of the browser of choice for a while, but everybody seems to be switching over to Google Chrome now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Mozilla having Jamie there. Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll have to get him on. Yeah, you know what? You should you should see if you can make that happen. You it, should you should reach out to him and and uh, maybe he'll he'll sit down and chat with us about it. Done deal. Uh, anything else? Did you notice anything? Uh, it's International Cat Day. Did you know that? No. I've been tweeting about that all morning on our feed. 
What did I see yesterday? I think yesterday was what International Watermelon Day. What? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. I think there was International Something Day. That's okay. I hate watermelon. I've been off Facebook and Twitter for like the last four or five days, so I've just been unplugged. Got to catch up. Yeah, you do. Yep. I saw some tweets this morning, so good job, Rob. Why? Thank you, and thank International Cat Day. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag meow. <laughs> uh, hey, what are we doing today? Today we are talking with Kyle Bryant, who is a fellow podcaster and one of the hosts of the Two Disabled Dudes podcast. Yeah, this is an amazing story. Well, you've you've wanted to have these guys on the show for quite a while. Yep. So Kyle Bryant and Sean Baumstark um, are the two hosts of the Two Disabled Dudes podcast. And I listened to their podcast early on and, you know... <sighs> These two gentlemen have um, degenerative nerve disease that is incurable at this point in time. That's right. It's called Friedrich's ataxia. Right. And you know, Kyle's story, Sean's as well. Um, unfortunately, we won't have Sean today. But their stories are very enlightening. Um, their talk about community and supportive community um, is very encouraging. And I hope... Everyone gets a lot out of today's show because I know I do from their podcast. Now, are are you in? A, do you, do you listen every week, or is it a weekly podcast? It's not weekly. I think they try to do it every two weeks, um, and I have to get caught up. I haven't listened to it in a few weeks now, but they've had other riders on from the Race of America. They've had nutritionists on, so it's a wide, um, varied guest list. Yeah, we don't want to spoil anything and, and tell you too much about uh, Kyle because I'm sure that we'll. We'll get him to talk about himself, but yep. pretty amazing. They really pretty are. Pretty amazing story. Yeah, and they add humor to their podcast, so they're really great guys. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we have them on today. I've been thinking about my segues, and so I think I have a way to... We need the sound of a segue. That's not a bad idea, too. Okay, so just... Uh, or the Jetson uh, car. Set up for this. And now for Rob's segue. <laughs> shut, shut, shut up. <laughs> All right. So joining us today is Mr. Kyle Bryant. Uh, Kyle is a podcaster. He's an avid cyclist. He's a motivational speaker. He is the subject of the documentary, The Ataxian. And he's also the founder and director of Ride Ataxia. Hi, Kyle. How are you? Good. So glad you could join us today. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, you know... I think Sean also is disappointed that he is not able to make it. Um, it just something popped up at work, and you know it's just the way it goes, unfortunately. And so, but I am absolutely honored to be here, and I appreciate what you guys do. Well, you know, it's funny we were talking earlier, and uh, Ryan has been a big fan of you guys for for quite a while. And and when we started up the podcast about a year year and a bit ago, you guys were one of the one of the first people that he wanted to have on. So, <laughs> wow, yeah. that's awesome. Wow, that's very flattering. Well, I don't remember where I heard about you know you and the two disabled dudes podcast, but I found it and started listening to it. And just the way you guys talk about community and other topics was like, I have to get these guys on. These guys are incredible. So I'm so glad you could make it. Awesome. Well, appreciate that. Yeah, that's really great to hear. You know, you you guys know. You know, we all put so much into these podcasts and you know to hear a compliment like that it really means a lot so thank you so why don't we just start and tell us a little bit about uh friedrich's ataxia just in general so friedrich's ataxia is a rare neuromuscular disease that affects all muscle coordination from the toes to the fingertips um it has Symptoms like vision loss, hearing loss, and life-shortening heart complications. Um, the symptoms that are really apparent in me right now um, are the balance coordination issues. Uh, I use a wheelchair to get around, um, you know, but lots of kids um, are, I was diagnosed when I was 17. Lots of kids are diagnosed when they are, you know, before the age 10 and unfortunately these kids are dying in their their 20s due to heart disease caused by fa and um so you know when 
when you see me and Sean, for example, um, the two disabled dudes, you see FA at a different stage of where it is in, in other people. Um, and that's the thing about FA is that, you know, it's different for everybody. Um, and that's important for me and also for Sean, I know, to to convey that message because when you see us, you're like, what's the big deal? Like, these guys seem happy and, and like, full of life. But, you know, it's not that way for a lot of people. There's There's much bigger challenges that come with, you know, with further um depilting symptoms like balance of coordination and with you know vision loss hearing loss and lots of kids die unfortunately of heart disease so it's it's literally a life and death situation when does it in general um manifest in people is is there a common age that it, it starts to show or is it just whenever so uh, the most common is between the ages of 5 and 15 um but there are, you know, many, many exceptions to that. I was diagnosed when I was 17. Uh, Sean was diagnosed when he was 26, I believe. Wow. And, like, I have a friend who was diagnosed in her 40s, you know. And so it, it there's, you know, it definitely affects a lot more kids than um, adults. But, you know, onset in adulthood is not completely out of the question. And do the symptoms um, progress in, in similar ways, or can anybody sort of get any part of the, the symptoms at any time? The symptoms progress in similar ways. Um, it, it usually starts with balance coordination problems, um, you know, and, and progresses, um, you know, to heart and and um, like I have scoliosis um, caused by FA, and that is one of the symptoms that presents uh, for for many many people. Um, but some people don't have scoliosis. Some people never get heart disease. Um, but you know those. So it it has to do with so many factors that our scientists don't even know about. Um, and it has to do, a lot of it has to do with how the disease is passed down. So it's a, it's a triplet repeat disease. And so, um, both of my parents are carriers of the disease, but they had no idea because they have no symptoms. And I was the lucky recipient of each of my parents' recessive genes in, at this chromosome. And, um. So it manifested in me, and I have, um, so you guys have less than 30 repeats of GAA at that code in your DNA. I have 450. Wow. Some of my friends with FA have over 1,000 up to like 1,500 repeats. When that code gets decoded, it makes a protein called frataxin. Um the signal gets messed up because there's too many repeats. And for example, I don't make enough free tax and Sean doesn't make enough free tax and everyone with FA, they don't make enough of this protein called free tax. And because of that triplet repeat and the more repeats you have, the less protein you make. And so the disease progresses more quickly and earlier and much more severely in people that have a lot more repeats. So do you have brothers or sisters that have Frederick's ataxia, or is it just yourself? I have one older brother, and um, he's unaffected. He's not even a carrier, and, um, the, you know, we're really excited about that. That's really fortunate because he had uh, he has two beautiful children, my niece and nephew, and um, I couldn't be more excited about them and the fact that they won't have to deal with that in their lives. Except through me. <laughs> well, well, you know, and listening to your podcast and, and other venues you've spoken on, um, I can tell that attitude is everything with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, I, I love that comment. Thank you for noticing. Um, I think that, you know, both Sean and I believe that fully is that, you know, one of our principles is life is not about what happens to you. It's about how you react to what happens to you and 
um, that's a principle that lots of people look to and and tout, um, and it's something that we really hold really high too. So let's let's talk about that a little bit, and and talk a little bit about say your initial reaction when you were first diagnosed at seventeen. I mean, because that's such a young age. Yeah. Well, my initial reaction, like most people, is what the heck is this? Um, and at that point, I didn't. It wasn't affecting me to the point where I had to like change my life. Um, and it was crazy because you get this diagnosis and you read about what is going to happen, but it's not happening at that moment. And so it's just fear for what might happen in the future. And you don't know. Um, and so it's super emotional to, to try to figure that out. I think at my age where I was, I was very, um, I, I was ready to just, sort of ignore it and go on living my life, which is, I think that's a fine reaction. Um, mm -hmm. I have no regrets, but I, yeah, I think it's really hard be just cause it's so un unknown. I mean, it's, it's a lot better now. You can search Friedrich's Taxi online and find some helpful information, um, at that time. Uh, that was like 1998 or so that Farah, the Friedrichs Ataxia Research Alliance was just getting started. And um, when you would search online, you would all you would find is you're going to be in a wheelchair soon and you'll likely die a premature death due to heart disease. Yikes. Um, and those are those are really good or excuse me, really tough things to to take at that point. Um, so much uncertainty and the, the only things that seem certain is that you're going to die soon. Like what? Well, that's pretty crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. And being so early on, uh, you know, there, there were no online support communities, I'm sure like, like now. Yeah, no, I mean, there were a few, but very few, um, and, and, and hard to find, uh, now you can just go on Facebook and find, you know, not not everything is 100% positive, but you can find people who are level-headed and have been dealing with this disease for a while and can help navigate for a, you know, for a, um, a new person to this world. And our community, I'm so grateful for the FA community. Um, everyone is so incredibly positive and welcoming. Um, and, you know, I... I'm proud of that as well because people who were are diagnosed recently, um, you know, they can come into a community that is welcoming and positive, um, and they don't have to feel so lost for so long. Well, and that's funny. That's something that we talk a lot about in the podcast um, is is just the the incredible benefits of online com support communities these days. Um, things like, and that's, that's where I see the real power of things like Facebook and Twitter and, you know, right. all the, all the social media sites is that it it's, they're so powerful in being able to bring people together and create these support groups, uh, with people from all around the world. And we've never had that before. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, we just did a ride in France um, this this year, I was just on a conference call today with someone in Germany who has FA, you know, and I mean, you, you know, you're diagnosed and you're sitting in at the kitchen table with your family and everyone's staring at each other. They're going, what the heck are we going to do about this? And little do we know that there's a family in France or Germany or whatever, uh, Pennsylvania, um, Oregon wherever that's that's having the same experience you know and it's when we get together and communicate those experiences that we feel incredibly empowered and you know in those tools like facebook and twitter and social media and stuff are allowing all that to happen in one of your early podcasts i don't remember if it was you or if it was sean but i remember one of you saying when you guys were first diagnosed you're sitting at the kitchen table with your parents 
And you kind of looked at each other and said, so what am I going to do now? And I think you or Sean said, well, I can still ride a bike. Yeah. I, I mean, that that was a realization that came over a, a, you know, a certain amount of time seeing it was actually I was looking online and I saw this guy who um, was about to circumnavigate the country on a trike and he had MS and, you know, to to anyone else, he was just a totally debilitated, like disabled guy. But um, he had this tool and he had this vision and um, you know, a huge motor in his heart and he was going to do this. And, and, you know, I saw that online and that's when I was like the flip, the switch kind of flipped at that point. Um, because it was like, well, you know what, if this guy can do it, why can't I, so <laughs> I think I can, you know? And so that's one of the things that we hold high to is, is doing stuff to create an example so that people can see like this stuff can actually get done by a couple of uh, slacker disabled guys. And, um, <laughs> you know, that's kind of what, what our <laughs> podcast is about, you know? Absolutely. So basically you, you went out and you, you got a trike. Yep. Yeah, so I I found a dealer that sold this trike um, near my house. I think I drove two hours to get there. I got a loan from my dad and um, and bought the trike on the spot that day. It was the most amazing feeling rolling around in the parking lot on that trike. Mm. Um, you know, I hadn't walked more than a couple steps in like a couple years. And this trike allowed me to move. I was, I was going like 20 miles an hour. I never <laughs> ever thought that was possible again. And it was just an incredible feeling just in like the block around the bike shop. Um, and I can only imagine what I could do or how I could feel if this took me so much further, you know? So, you know, one question I have, cause I'm not sure about the answer is, um, were you in a wheelchair at that point in time? And was it like, was it a hand cycle or were you still able to pedal? Uh, so I actually am still able to pedal. Okay. Um, I, so I, it was a trike at that point and it's still a trike now. Um, I, so I use a wheelchair because, because I have no balance. I still have plenty of power left in my legs. I oh, just okay. have no balance. Um, uh, Oftentimes, like if I don't ride for a long time, like like a month or whatever it is, um, you know, I have a I have trouble um, coordinating the movement to be able to, to pedal. But it it has come back every time um, after uh, a number of attempts and and um, just practice over time. So yeah, I still do ride with my feet. Excellent. So that must have been just incredibly empowering to, to all of a sudden be able to be so independent. Yeah, free. independent and yeah, it must have felt amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I just wanted to feel that more and more. You know, that it was such an incredible feeling and it still is. I still get that feeling when I get on my trike and and ride on the trailer or whatever and you know, I just wanted that more and more and so that's what I went after. I bought a trike on the spot that day and um, paid my dad back a couple months later. <laughs> um, and, you know, I just started riding. So Now, when, when you just – so when you first got it, it, it was just something that you were doing for fun. Absolutely. I mean, for the first, like, couple – well, let's see. I got it in 2000 five maybe 2006 and um so my first fundraising ride was in 2007 but yeah i mean in you know at first my first ride was like across town to um play poker with some friends it was like <laughs> three four miles 
And I showed up and they're like, oh, cool. How'd you get here? I was like, um, I rode my bike. Like <laughs> I got here under my own power. Thank you very much. And I was so proud of that. Um, and I think that's the coolest thing about cycling is that you can actually go somewhere like, yeah, you can do that with the running. Um, it takes a lot longer and, um, you know, a lot more effort, but like I could go have breakfast like 10 miles away from my house. And like, you know, I can actually go places and, and that's what intrigued me too is like, all right, I drove, I, I rode my bike across town. Like, what if I did this like a hundred times <laughs> and strung it together and I could ride across the country? Like I had that thought, you know? And wow. so it started with something small and I was like, I think I could do this back to back to back to back, you know? And then your so. dad laughed at you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Anytime anyone laughs at me, I'm just like, all right, watch this. <laughs> like, that's so one of the things that drives me. And maybe maybe a little bit less as I get older um, and a little bit more mature. I'm, I'm, but... I recognize that like that's one of the things that drives me is like people thinking that I'm not going to be able to do this and and I'm like all right watch this check it out yeah. you know so yeah And so where was your first fundraising ride like where did you where did you ride to So my my very first ride, fundraising ride actually was um a ride for the American Diabetes Association in Napa Valley, California, and we did a century ride. Um, and that was like, that was one of the really times when I was like, all right, I finished a hundred miles in a day. Like the sky's the limit. Wow. So after that, my, uh, my first big fundraising ride for Friedrich's Ataxia was, um, from San Diego to Memphis, Tennessee. I rode my trike with my dad to the meeting of the National Ataxia Foundation. Wow. And that year the meeting was in Memphis, Tennessee. So um, the For ride took us 59 days. Wow. Um, oh and gosh. we rode, we each rode every inch of it. You know, and my mom drove our travel trailer as a support vehicle. And we met... Um, researchers and people from the FA community along the way that were watching our our trip and I, I wrote a blog every about every three days um, and it was just incredible I'm in mostly it was empowering to us you know like like I just I just wanted to ride my trike you know and that was <laughs> that was kind of the beginning but then by the end it, it turned into something so much bigger and it was important not only to me but to so many you know hundreds thousands of people and um and i realized that i was this was something not just for me but for the whole community so for rob and i who are up here in canada how many miles is that ride <laughs> um that was 2500 miles Good wow Lord. So I can't, I can't walk across you, the street. <laughs> well, yes, you could. <laughs> so, do you guys use kilometers and stuff in Canada? I'm so yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, we do. Okay, so meters and kilometers. So, see, I am still terrible with that conversion. But no, oh, we fine. couldn't do it either. I, if you put we a have, gun to my head, I couldn't tell you how many how many uh, kilometers that many miles is either. <laughs> we Google it. It's but I can just tell yeah. you, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I usually just ask Siri. And yeah, like, that's correct. Just, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then at some point you get interested in the race across America. I I had actually heard of this race. I, I listened to Radiolab and they had a great podcast episode about, about human limits. Just explain to people what the race across America is. So Race Across America is a 3,000-mile race from literally from ocean to ocean, from uh, Oceanside, California, the pier in Oceanside, California, to City Dock in Annapolis, Maryland. Um, 
you know, all the way across the U.S. And the thing about Race Across America is that it's like everyone knows of the Tour de France, and that's a stage race. Most bike races are stage races where you like race, you know, and then there's a finish line every single day, and you like go to sleep and and eat some food, and whatever. At night, but um, Race Across America, the clock never stops. Once you start in Oceanside, the clock doesn't stop to cross the finish line in Maryland. (laughs) And um, there's so for teams, you have to finish in less than nine days. That's 219 hours. And so we had to, we had a four man team and we had to ride. 24 hours a day at an average speed of no less than 14 miles per hour. (laughs) (laughs) So, and how much sleep did you get? We actually got a decent amount of sleep every day, but it was in a really weird, um, or like we got about two and a half hours of sleep every four hours or so. So, so we had a four man team. And um, there were sub teams of two, just say like team A and team B. Well, team A would be on the road for four hours. And during those four hours, those two guys would switch off every half an hour. And then at the end of the four hours, the sub teams would switch. Team B would be on the road and team A would be in the RV resting. And so you could get like during a rest period, you know, you get off your bike, trike, whatever you're using, and um, you eat some food, maybe you take a little shower with baby wipes in the armpits, you know, and then <laughs> try to get to sleep. And then at the end, you wake up and you, you know, get ready to ride. And so by the time you're doing all that, you're getting about two and a half hours of sleep and you're on the road for four hours. So it's like, so it's a really weird schedule, but we mm-hmm. actually did get a decent amount of sleep. However, no one slept at all for like the first three days. Oh, wow. So you can imagine what that crash was like when we all finally were like, all right, I think it's time to go down. You know? <laughs> so. so starting the race, everyone's adrenaline must have just been pumping at what point oh did you hit the wall and go, I don't know if I can finish this thing? Um, you know, I never hit that wall because I think we're so prepared and we um, we heard stories of people hitting that wall and, you know, nutrition, sleep, um, all these different factors that led them to that. And we had an incredible crew. So we had 13 people on the crew, um, and they they took care of everything for us. And the goal of the crew is to not let the riders know that any work is happening, like or that anything is going wrong. So many things went wrong, obviously, <laughs> but the you know the the crew is charged with just taking care of it and not letting the riders worry about anything except riding. Right. You know, and so um, I think that preparation and then the fact that we had an incredible crew um helped me you know stay on task and get sleep and and stay fueled so that i didn't hit that wall how much training did you do before you entered this race so um i trained for i mean we we were all pretty good cyclists up to a certain point um but really i think the training about a year out, I would ride about a half an hour in my house. In like, I would get right out of bed and get on my truck and ride for a half an hour on my stationary trainer inside. And then I would ride for an hour every single day outside, like in this loop that I had. And um, so it wasn't super intense, but we got the we got the advice that it's not necessarily about how fast you ride, but it's about like just time the saddle being on the trike or on the bike. And so, you know, if I could do seven or eight hours a week, 
um, on my trike, that's what I was aiming for in that year leading up. Right. And and what was the worst state to ride through? Oh, man. So I think everyone that rides Ram hates Kansas. Um, <laughs> it was just <laughs> so windy. I mean, I woke up like, okay, I was in the RV when we went to Kansas, and I woke up to hear the per- the guy who was driving the RV go, everybody get to the left of the RV. <laughs> and so, like, I'm, like, just, like, dead asleep and then just hear that and go, oh, crap, and get to the left real quick. Everybody's panicking because the wind is blowing so hard that he's afraid that it's going <laughs> to blow the RV over. Oh, like, gee whiz. And it blew like that. It feels like from the moment we crossed into Kansas until the moment <laughs> we left, you know, and yeah, it was just nuts and it rained and, um, I don't know. I, I remember a few really cool moments in the dark though, in the mm. middle of nowhere in Kansas, you can't see anything beyond like the headlight of your, of your trike and which is, I don't know, 10, 15 feet. Ugh. And so you're just cycling into oblivion. Wow. And um, I don't know. It was just a really neat feeling. It, you know, and then, like, we're, it's, we're in a rainstorm and there's lightning. And so, you know, you're riding into oblivion and then all of a sudden the lightning strikes and it turns a day for, like, a second, <laughs> right? And you can see everything. You're, Whoa, I didn't even know that was there or whatever. It was, yeah, it was really neat. And, at, you know, at those moments, you know, especially in middle of the night or early morning, I mean, the race must really become a mental exercise just as much as a physical one. Yeah, absolutely. And um, at those times, I really think it's all about um, the cause. I mean, for us, it was really easy to stay focused. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say, well, I don't know. I, fi- I don't find it difficult to focus a lot of times because the goal is so well defined, especially in a bike race. There's a finish line. Like, the, it's well defined what the goal is, what we need to do. Um, you know, and in this case, it was about the F8 community. And it's such an emotional connection to that goal of the finish line right. for the community for the cure for FA to get us a few pedal strokes closer and um you know and so you know in those times where you say you know it's a it's a mental exercise i just think it's all about the cause and that's what kept our team focused is that nobody was in it for any other reason. Like, it was not unclear what the focus and what the goal was. Yeah, so I guess it, it made it, it almost makes it easier to really dig deep when, you, when you're when you cycling for a cause like that as opposed to somebody just, you know, entering the race and, and doing it because it, it's a personal goal. Yes, I agree 100%. Um, and that goes for any team i feel like in business in um you know nonprofit, whatever any any team that's working together if the goal is really well defined it just makes everyone um perform better i think it like you said makes it easier to dig deep because you know what you're going for like that that i think that's the bottom line and i mean this may be a silly question but how did it feel when you crossed that finish line (laughs) You know, um, for me, it was relief. I mean, obviously elation, and there were the the finish line was amazing because there were so many people from the FA community there. I I, I want to say there was probably like eighty or ninety people, and it was like one fifteen a.m. Um, at City Dock in Annapolis, Maryland. Um, and all these people came out to see us finish. So a lot of them had been there for hours waiting. And um, so that was really incredible to feel that connection to the community. But really, um, 
you know, one of the overwhelming feelings for me was relief because we'd spent so much time and dedicated our lives to this for the past year and a half or whatever it was. It cost our team $40,000 to do the race. Wow. Um, you know, there's 13 people that gave up a week and a half of their life to get this done. We w had been writing on our blog for for a year that we're going to do this race. So many people counting on it in the community. And, you know, and so I just felt a tremendous amount of pressure and it was all relieved at this, that point. Like at that moment that we crossed the finish line, like, all right, it's in the back. Like no one can ever take this away from us. We're finished and we did it. Success, you know, and so it was just total relief and just an incredible feeling. And I think you said it was 2,500 miles in nine days. And how long did it take you guys to finish? Uh, it was, it's 3,005 miles, oh, okay. actually. Don't, don't forget that five. <laughs> 3,005. Don't, All right. don't leave out Kansas. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, um, we finished in eight days, eight hours and 14 minutes. And, um, <laughs> so I believe that was 19 hours ahead of the cutoff time. Wow. Wow. I have to do that math, but. Are you going to do it again? <laughs> Ask his dad that. <laughs> oh man, uh, I would, I would consider it if all I had to do was ride. Like it was such a logistical nightmare. It was so crazy getting all that in, raising so much funds. Like, not only do I have to worry about my own physical shape as we're leading up to the ride and making sure that I'm gonna be in the shape that I need to be in, but I also need to figure out how to raise $40,000. And by the way, that 40,000, you know, we made sure all of our donors knew that that money is not going to research. It's going to fund our race. Right. You know, and so it's a, it's a, a different kind of challenge when, you know, we're always raising money for research. Um, and that's number one, obviously, but then, you know, we bring this along and we're like, all right, you know, this is to support research, but the actual dollars are not going. So it was a, it, you know, it was a fundraising challenge as well. And so, it, I mean, if I didn't have all of those challenges and all I had to do was ride, I would definitely consider it. How old were you when you <laughs> did the race? Um, let's see, it was 2010. So I think I was 29. Now you are also the subject of a documentary. Uh, speaking of which, uh, the Ataxian. Um, how did that all come about? Well, so when we did, when we decided to do Race Cars America, I wrote on my blog that I wanted to find somebody who would come along and capture the race just for posterity, really. Just so we, so it would live longer than just a day. A friend from high school read my blog, and uh, she reached out to her friend, who was a filmmaker, and he didn't have a project at the moment. And that was Kevin Schlanzer, and he is the cinematographer, director um, on the movie. And uh, he was working with his friend, Zach Bennett, who is the other director and one of the producers on the film. And uh, they, I started working with Kevin first of all, and then Zach, Zach got involved when uh, when he could. And um, so I was, you know, I was like, what What are these guys doing? Like they're they were like twenty two or twenty three at that point or something. And um, Kevin comes over to my house, and he's like, I have an idea. Um, so we go into the the um the garage in my house in sacramento he all the lights are off except he brings one light you know those like um chinese looking lights that you see at like costco that are just like white like a single like a ball right right so yeah. um he has this light and he he hangs it like right above us we're sitting like two feet across from each other i'm sitting in my truck and Kevin's like, okay, now strap your helmet. All right, take it off. 
Dude, a little slower now. Okay, now now let put your shirt on, take it off, and put it back on, zip it up, and like so I'm doing all this, and we're in there for like three hours. I'm just going, dude, this is so stupid. What are you doing? And um and then so then he produces the first trailer for the film and sends it to me. You know, I saw it and I was like Oh my gosh, I did I had no idea how talented this guy was. And those that um in my garage that ended up being the final shot. Like there's a sequence in the in the film and the final sequence is from that very first time that Kevin and I shot together. So, you know, it was really serendipitous like connection with my a friend from high school and it just turned out to be an incredible um these guys are just incredible artists and filmmakers so well one question i've had and i've wanted to ask you for a long time is when can i get a copy or where can i get a copy (laughs) that's the million dollar question and i appreciate that question by the way um but so it's been in several film festivals and it won um the audience award for best documentary at at several film festivals and it's been in a number of private screenings um and fundraisers that we've done and right now the filmmakers are working on a plan to self-distribute the film online um and so uh, it's only a matter of time and uh, Jeez, it's been seven years, and I have to admit, I've said several times, you know, put a time frame like, oh, you'll you'll be able to see it in like six months. And that was like three years ago, you know. Well, you so have my contact. I'm info. not putting any time frame on it, but I really do think it will be soon that everyone will be able to see it. That's awesome, Ryan. You can have a screening here in your in the Guitar Dungeon. Absolutely, no, I definitely want to buy a copy. I think it would just be an incredible journey with you guys. Um, okay, well, so tell us now about about Ride Ataxia and and how that came about. So Ride Ataxia came about. Um, I did I did a ride from. Um, so I did the ride to Memphis, and uh, that was really incredible, twenty five hundred miles. And then the next year I did a ride from um, Portland, Oregon to Seattle, Washington. And we had a lot more people with us. We had 75. No, I'm sorry. The next year, that year, after Memphis, we did a ride from Sacramento to Las Vegas, Nevada. And we had about 20 people with us. Um, And we raised about $140,000. The first year, we raised $40,000. Wow. Then the third year, we did a ride from Portland to Seattle. Um, And... We had 75 people with us, and we raised 250,000. And so in those three rides, I think that adds up to like 400 and what, 490,000 or something like that um, in in those three rides that we raised. And, uh, And, you know, lots of people were getting really excited about what they could do on a, on a bike or trike. And so in 2009, I came on staff at the, at the Friedrichs Ataxia Research Alliance. And, um, we built a nationwide series of bike rides, um, single day rides that anyone can come out and get involved in. So there's, there's like a, at every location, there's like a two mile route. There's a five, a 10, and 25 and 50 that's our general um model and really it's focused on um getting the community together and and then raising funds for research um and empowering people along the way so right now we have rides in uh in 2019 we're gonna have rides in dallas southern california northern california Chicago, Philly, Orlando, and Atlanta. Um, so that's and last year, uh, twenty seventeen, we raised one million dollars for the first time um, in the entire program. And so, 
we're excited to hit that goal again this year and see where we can go from there. And have you had any other organizations from, say, different countries contacting you and, and you know, and, and asking for maybe advice in organizing something in their given country? Or have you thought about expanding that out to, say, Canada? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like I was, I mentioned earlier, I believe that we just did a ride in France, um, and we partnered with the French FA organization over there, and we're in contact with several people in Canada, um, and you know, partnering on different things. We actually have a clinical research site in uh, Toronto. Right. Um, at sick kids. And so, you know, we partner with, with, um, our friends in the North for, for lots of research and different things. And, you know, we're looking forward to continuing that relationship. So tell us a little bit about the podcast and, and how that all started up. The podcast actually came about, I was, we we're doing a private screening of the film and I was watching it and Sean he he is very well spoken he has a way of wording things and getting real deep on stuff and i was watching the film and some of the stuff he said and i was like we need to have this available all the time we knew and more often um and so I, I was driving back from that screening and I called him. I was like, I think we need to do a podcast. Um, and it was another one of those things where I had been a guest on a podcast um, a couple weeks earlier. And uh, it, it wasn't all that well done, unlike what you guys are doing. Um, and but they were still doing it. It was great. You know, it was it was a couple of people that. Um, we're, we're getting something done. And I was right. like, you know what? If they can do it, I think we can. And that's kind of how it started, you know, just the notion of I think we can do this and we have a story to tell and I want to be able to to tell it more often, you know. And, um, and so the principle behind the podcast, I think, is that I feel like it's not exactly, you know, intuitive, but rare disease or disease disability in general, it comes along with a lot of shame. Like I, I, you know, maybe to a certain extent still, but like when I was first diagnosed, um, I was ashamed that I couldn't do stuff that I used to be able to. I was ashamed that my friends might change what they're going to do because of me that my family might have to change the the direction of their lives because I couldn't you know because I was the dead weight or whatever right and um and that's really hard to talk about like that feeling of shame and just in general like just talking about disability I think is um it's hard, and I think that if we can just put it out in the open and, and even laugh about it, right? Like, yeah, we yeah. try to keep it pretty light, but if, and if we can do that, then it takes the power, the negative power, away from disability to be able to, to affect our lives. Um, and so we try to stay positive and, and funny and just talk about stuff that happens and how we can approach things to make a, a, a better life for ourselves and, and hopefully some of our listeners can, uh, you know, take a cue from some of the stuff we talk about. And it's not so much me and Sean, like, teaching people. It's the fact that Sean and I learn so much from each other that we want people to be able to benefit from that, I guess. Um, and it's just another tool, I think, to help build the community. Um, we receive so many awesome comments online and whatever, email and everything about what 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 topics that we've approached on the podcast. 
it's really encouraging to us. And so it's that kind of circular thing that you get in a community where everyone's giving everyone else positive feedback and, and it just grows from there. So, And that's the one thing I got from your podcast is how much the power of community means to you guys. You know, the support of the community, the strength of the community, and how social media, you know, allows us to share these these deeper feelings we have with the community. I myself, Kyle, I don't know if you know, I'm totally blind and I lost my sight in a car accident. And so I have a lot of the same, or had a lot of the same feelings that you're talking about, being ashamed, how's my family gonna do what they wanna do? All those types of things yeah. that are hard to talk about. And without community, you know, it's, it's really hard to stay motivated and, and stay empowered, so. Yeah. Yeah. How awesome is it when you talk to somebody with the same condition or is in a similar position and you don't even almost most of the time you don't even say anything, but there's this connection that like there's an understanding that nobody else seems to understand, but you can connect mm-hmm. with that person. Yeah. You know, and that that is the mo- and shoot, you've probably heard me say this type of thing more than once on the podcast, but it's just an incredible connection that is, you know it can't be duplicated. It's amazing what we see like on on Facebook all the time, and how that helps to make the world smaller in a way, you know, and um, connect all of us when when we feel like we're rare. All of a sudden, with 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 the technology tools that we have, um, rare is not so rare anymore, you know? So it's pretty incredible. So what's next for you guys? Um, I think that, um, you know, I know how Sean would, would, uh, answer this question. He would say, (laughs) I want to get rich and famous. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, you know, I think we want to grow the podcast, um, you know, and have more and more guests that people want to hear from, you know, and I think mainly that's driven from people that me and Sean are interested in and just hoping that other people are as well. Um, and so growing the podcast and, um, it's maybe it's not so much, uh, you know, the number of people, the number of downloads that we get per episode. Um, although I have to admit, you know, all of us, oh, yeah, watch that. And oh, we do, just, but we were talking, but it, we, me, and, me and Ryan were talking about that before the mics came yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, how yeah. you watch that and just hope, like, when you click on the thing, like, you're just hoping it's a big number and yeah. then it's not. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> anyway, no, it's not so much about the numbers, I think it's, it's about building community and just having another outlet to be able to like like we said from the beginning i'm sure you guys have had this conversation too like if if our podcast can like touch one or two people in a positive way like it'll be worth it that's right and um and it's fun anyway so it it's definitely worth it so we want to grow the podcast i am um, writing a book right now and um, looking for a publisher, so that's coming. Hopefully, the film will be available to the public soon. Um, beyond that, you know, we've got Farah is nurturing a lot of really promising science and um, some really great clinical trials that are in process right now. And so we're all working really hard for that. So lots of really good stuff going on, and um, and we'll just keep cranking away, you know? Fantastic. Well, I keep up with the podcast because I had never heard of Friedrich's Ataxia until I found your podcast. So you've reached one person already, so keep going. <laughs> all right. Proof, proving the pudding. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm getting Ryan a bike. <laughs> we're going to get a tandem bike, and we're going to do the, the ride across America, Ryan, next year. Yeah. So, wow. Okay. So where exactly are you guys located? See, so we're in Vancouver. Vancouver, so British Columbia. We're on, we're on one, okay. side of the, one side of the coast already. So we could start right. at the... Port of Vancouver and ride all the way to the, like Prince Edward Island. 
Yeah. Or more I mean, realistically, we'll start at the port of Vancouver and ride to the next Starbucks right three blocks Horton's. over and then be like, oh my God. Okay, this is forget that's this how, idea. That's how it starts, man. You guys might do that and be like, I, you know what? I love this so much that let's do even more, you know? When I had sight, I, I loved mountain biking. I It was one of my pride and joys. And I, I've always hated walking, even when I had sight. If I could bike somewhere, I'd bike somewhere. So, yeah, if I could find a rider and get a tandem bike... Oh, I'll yeah, do it, Ryan. I'll, I'll do it. I'd be gone. <laughs> yeah, I'll take well, you up on and, okay. You know, there are... I mean, I don't know how it is in Vancouver, and I don't know how much research you've done, but, like, there's this, uh, you know, accessible sports programs all over. I'm sure there's some in Vancouver, and you could find an experienced pilot yeah. um, to, you know, try it out, and then you two can... Learn how to do it, and then go do it by yourselves. Yep, so. we have a BC Blind Sports Association here. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just got to get off my ass, <laughs> put the beer down, and get on the bike. Key, huh? <laughs> I'll, can- I'll cancel your Netflix subscription for you, Ryan. It'll help. That's right. Okay, so tell us uh, where people can find you. Um, where can people find out more about Ride Ataxia? Where can people find the podcast and anything else that you want to plug? So the main place to find Sean or myself um, is twodisabledudes.com. And, um, you know, we have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as well, so you can follow us there. Um, We're on iTunes and Stitcher and all that, so you can find the podcast there. Uh, Two Disabled Dudes podcast. Ride a taxi. You can find more information at rideataxia.org um, on on any of the specific rides or just the program in general. So those are the two main links. And then the, the Friedrichs Ataxia Research Alliance is um, the source for research updates and, and um, all of that. There's a, a big community. We have a great blog on there, and that's all at curefa.org. Excellent. We'll make sure that we link to all those in the show notes as well. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. All right, Kyle. Thanks so much for coming on. It was it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it's been great to talk to you, Kyle. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Okay, Thanks, sir. Kyle. You know, such such an, an interesting guy, such a nice guy. Yep. Honest, open. Yep. You know, has a lot of information, has a lot to say, and a lot to share with the community. Never heard of Frederick's Ataxia, Friedrich's Ataxia until I found their podcast. And I, I just knew once I heard their show, I had to have one of them on. And I'm glad we did. Yeah, it's it was the same thing when we talked to Maria Johnson, um, you know, and LHON. These rare diseases that come up 20 years ago before, before the advent of social media or the Internet. I mean, you, you just would never have heard of any of these diseases. No. It's great now. They have these communities online, these global support communities that people don't feel alone and isolated anymore. Absolutely. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? Online at www.atbanter.com. Which is going through a lovely renovation right now. It is. Check it out. Leave us your feedback. Tell us what you think. Only if you're going to say, it's beautiful. (laughs) You're going to say, this is ugly. Sucks eggs. Don't email. No, we still want your email. That's true. We'll take any email. Uh, And speaking of the email, you can email us by typing into your little computing machine. ATBanterPodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at AT underscore banter. You can find us on Facebook if you type in ATBanter. And you can find us on YouTube. Uh, All right. Well, you know what? That's going to do it for us. This has been a long show, so. Hope you enjoyed it. I have been Rob Minow. And I'm still Ryan Flurry. And I don't know. Next week we might have a Steve Barkley, and we're not sure. Or he could still be up fishing. Uh, Do you you recall when he's back? I don't know. Whatever. We'll be here. Somebody will be here. Yep. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget... To rate us on iTunes. Oh, yeah. Rate us, please. We appreciate it. Only if you're going to give us five stars. If you're going to give us one star, then just don't don't bother. <laughs> just kidding. 
All right, everybody, have a great week, and we will see you all next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com.